All right, Bismillah. All right. Um, mashallah, a lot of new faces. So what happens oftentimes after breaks, two things happen after breaks and, or after breaks and after, in the summer. So, uh, and at the summer, usually numbers go up and down. So I'm just trying to give you, like on Sunday, usually there's between like 50 to 100 people, but every week is different. So uh, you might come, sometimes it'll be more, sometimes it'll be less. So uh, just be aware of that, especially in the summertime. Things go up and down depending on people out of town and in town and stuff like that. Uh, so first things first, uh, if this is your first time coming to the Majlis, I don't really know where to start. We, uh, my wife and I, along with some other people, started the Majlis in 2017. And uh, we began by meeting in people's homes and renting spaces and just trying to be regular in a couple of different things regular in gathering to uh, remember Allah, regular in doing an event to uh, provide food to those who are in need, and then <clears throat> to invite guest speakers. So we did that for about two years. And after two years, we got a space in Orange, 2019. And 2000, I think that was 2019, we had that space pretty much the whole, whole year. And then Alhamdulillah, things went really well. We met a lot of new people. People started coming. We had more programming, so on and so forth. And then we were really looking forward to 2020. And the pandemic happened. But subhanAllah, uh, they had not renewed our lease at the end of the year, which is when they were supposed to. They had delayed on that. And then the pandemic happened. So we we're able to leave our, leave our lease because the space we had would have been completely unusable in the pandemic. Uh, so alhamdulillah, then 2020, 2021, we started doing everything uh, online. <clears throat> and then the middle of last year, about a year ago now, we resumed in person here. Um, and then at the beginning of this year, we also got that office there. So alhamdulillah, we're here now. The Majlis is premised on a number of different concepts. So the, the mission is essentially to uh, develop and nurture safe community spaces where people can live and learn about Islam. Every word here has meaning. You, I wrote a series on the website, if you wanna read on the blog, what every word of the mission statement means. But uh, we don't wanna belabor that now. But to learn and live Islam based on traditional sources while paying attention to their context. And we focus on four things, which is religious education, spiritual refinement, love and service. So, in brief, you know, um, we believe that it is a true understanding of Islam to connect with the past and to live in the present. So uh, some of our teachers would say that part of Islam is to have continuity and community. So you have continuity in the sense that whatever we're doing is not some sort of new thing, right? Like we sit most of the books that we read are 700 years old, 800 years old, 1,000 years old, uh, which is really amazing in and of itself that we can sit and read books that are that old. But part of what the person who's teaching is supposed to do is to live in the reality that everyone else is living in. So, you know, we live here with everyone else. So we take these books and we read them. And sometimes things will ring true 
100% today, just as they did 800 years ago. And sometimes things will be like, mm, I'm not really sure. How are we supposed to think about that? And we'll pause with that. Because in the end, like we're all educated people living in a country that has a lot of access to information. And if we don't learn how to engage with these things, you'll never be able to deal with your religion. This is a religion that has existed for, I mean, depending on how you define it, since the beginning of human beings, but Islam, Islam with a capital I, from the time of the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam for 1400 years plus, and in almost every place on the globe, and all kinds of different histories and cultures and peoples and all kinds of things have been written. All kinds of arguments have been made for what Islam is or isn't with varying accuracy or cultural context or you know biases or whatever else it might be. So we read all of these things and sometimes we have comments to be like, hmm, I'm not sure if that would apply the same. I'm not sure about that conclusion. Or sometimes just, I'm not sure. I don't really know what to make of that. But Alhamdulillah, we have a wide religion. We can look in other places. And then at the same time, uh, we realize that having our, our feet on the ground of our history enables us to be in the present. Um, and then inshallah, we can do something about the reality that we're in. So the first foundation is religious education. The second is spiritual refinement, which is essentially to say that we learn these things and part of why we learn them is to do them. And for those things to be the foundation of our communal life, and to inform the decisions we make and to inform the interactions that we have with each other and so on. And then uh, the, that's like the theoretical side. And the practical side is how, what do you wanna do? You just love people and serve people. If you have a question mark, like what does all this mean? How should I make sense of it? How should I apply it? So on and so forth. Love people and serve people. And you know, how you do those things is going to be influenced by the other stuff that we took. So it's not loving someone necessarily to just do whatever they want, but we love people in particular ways, you know, with, with guidance and with wisdom and with revelation and so on. It helps us to actually understand how we should love people. Um, some practical points are that, alhamdulillah, all of our regular programming is free, like Tuesday, Wednesday, Sunday. Um, there was an initial kind of like discussion on that and people wanted to charge for it and we really pushed hard to say that we shouldn't charge for it. Uh, we have, we do have a suggested donation model. You can find it on the website, but nothing, you know, Tuesday, Wednesday, Sunday is free. Um, that's number one. Number two is that um, we welcome families and we welcome children. And what that means is that sometimes there might be some disruption, you know, that means is sometimes there might be some voices, there might be some noises, there might be some crying, and there might be all of those kinds of things. But that's okay. And that's khair. And especially with children, what we believe in Islam is that children are basically, they're like little awliya, you know? They're, they're, they're little um, uh, friends of Allah. And this is part of the reason why abusing children is such a problem. Because the Prophet ﷺ taught us what? That whoever harms my wali, then... Allah says, whoever harms my wali, my close friend, I declare war against them. And children are the friends of Allah. So if we mistreat children, we don't have patience with them, we don't have mercy with them, then we have a problem. Um, so, and, and the other side of that is that they bring khair. Like no one in the gathering is more pure than the child in the gathering. That's the, that's the sort of it. 
You know, Sayyidina Umar radiallahu anhu used to go around and he used to ask children to make dua for him. Say like, you know, can you make dua that Allah forgives me? Can you make dua that I have this? Can you make dua that I have that? So on. And actually, subhanAllah, you know, and it's not about us, it's about the person. I won't tell you who the person was, but uh, before when my wife and I were first married and we were wanting to study, subhanAllah, you know, sometimes in life you realize that you plan and you do different things and there's actually some righteous person who made some dua and your life is just like, it went along their dua, <laughs> you know? <laughs> I was talking to someone recently and they were like, no, actually this is what happened. And they told me the story and I was like, oh, subhanAllah, I thought I was making that choice. That wasn't, that was actually something else. But I say this because when we were in Egypt, we made a stikhara to leave Egypt. People who are regular in the majlis, you know, we made a stikhara to leave Egypt every single year we were in Egypt. Like we didn't want to, every year we're like, okay, we should leave this place. It's too much. We should leave this place. It's too much. And every year we ended up staying. We ended up staying and finishing our program in Al-Azhar and everything else, which is alhamdulillah, alhamdulillah, the greatest blessing. After Islam and after my wife and after my family and everything else, then is studying in Al Azhar. But what happened before we went and studied? There was a, a young girl in the community, mashallah, alayha simat al mu'minin. Like she had, she's like probably seven or eight at that time, but she is like so good, you know, and so pure and stuff. And we used to see her and we'd go to her and be like, so and so, can you make dua that we can go to Al Azhar? Can you make dua that we can go to Al Azhar? Can you make dua? And then we'd see her be like, are you making the dua? Like, we really, <laughs> we really need you to be making this dua. And mashallah, she was. And life happened the way that it happened. We tried to leave every single year and her dua was like coming, <laughs> intervening. So children are important. Like, we want to learn. We want to take things seriously. We want to try to push ourselves, ourselves, not others, as much as we push ourselves. Um, but at the same time, we want to be able to like live and be in community and have good relationships and have normal existence and lives. And this is also something we talk about a lot of times at the Majlis, the idea of like the importance of adab, of course, is we have manners and etiquettes in the way that we deal with people. We have usually that's really easy for people with the teacher. So they're like, oh, the teacher, we have adab, we have manners, we have etiquettes. It's much harder with each other. And it's actually in some ways more important with each other. And uh, it's important that we don't overdo the adib thing with teachers and stuff like that so that everything just becomes weird. Like, don't make everything weird. We might make mistakes sometimes, but it's actually better that we can live with each other and we can have normal relationships and we can talk and we can differ sometimes and be like, you know, I don't think that that was the best approach. Maybe you should try something else. And, you know, I might agree or I might disagree or whatever else. But like, we have to have that amongst each other. Otherwise, it just becomes really weird. And if it becomes really weird, we're not actually teaching ourselves and learning how to deal with life. And we want what we're teaching and what we're learning to help us in our lives, right? We want it to really benefit us. And that's a lot more difficult for us here than it is sometimes in other places because we don't have a culture. <laughs> like America doesn't, America has some culture, of course, but it's very varied. It's very varied. American Muslim community is the same issue, you know? Like I sit down to teach often, it's really difficult to teach in the American Muslim community. Almost no matter what you do, somebody's gonna be upset with you. Someone's gonna think you weren't relevant enough. Someone's gonna think you were too relevant. Someone's gonna think you weren't kind of like sitting high enough. Some people are gonna think you were sitting too high. Some people are gonna think you're too conservative. Some people are gonna think you're too liberal. Of course, we don't do things because of what people think, but in the end, like we want our understanding of our religion and our practice of our religion 
to work and we want it to be true. And uh, we think about, I think about often the statement of Sheikh Salman Hafizahullah, may Allah free him from his unjust uh, persecution and may he help him and aid him, Ya Rabbi. Uh, he says something beautiful in one of his, he did these short clips on different topics. And he said, He said, in the course of the thing, he said, it's from courage and bravery for the person of knowledge to open the doors that you're allowed to open before the people break them down. And this, I think, is like a really important concept. When we're thinking about how do we understand Islam in America? How do we do things? How do we function? And like, there's sometimes, subhanAllah, and again, like we're dealing with two extremes. One extreme is like people who they expect the person of, of learning, quote unquote, to be a certain level of conservative, right? Sometimes necessarily, sometimes unnecessarily. <laughs> like certain things, we have a line, we don't cross the line, right? Other things, it's you thought it was a line, but it's not actually a line. So we need to figure out if it's a line or not. That's the first question. And then on the other side of it, it's like if you have any line, some people, if you have any line, they're upset with you, right? So we have, we have, uh, but all of this is part of like we have to learn and we have to try to practice it and we have to deal with the discomfort sometimes. Like, Sometimes there's a level of discomfort in learning something new. Um, and, and then we figure it out, but we have to figure it out together. And alhamdulillah, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm very grateful for, for our community. I'm very grateful for all of you, for many others who may come later or may not make it today. And people who used to come in the past, but are no longer able to, because I, I feel that like this is, um, How should I say this? With a person of, of uh, my background and my education and my perspective on some issues related to community and my histories and my family and any number of other things, uh, part of why this exists is because I don't really feel comfortable in most places. Like, as the imam, like as the sheikh, I'll go to most masajid and stuff. I don't feel comfortable. People are like, are you, are you coming? Are you doing this? I'm like, well, first of all, we go places where people invite us. So, you know, we don't boycott places for the most part. I do, I have boycotted a couple of places uh, to be fair, but for the most part, we go if we're invited and we can do it. But uh, often we don't feel comfortable. And I think that that's a reality for the teacher as much as it's a reality for community members. And a big part of why we don't feel comfortable is oftentimes simply that people are judging other people just way too much. Like worry about your own issues, learn your religion, stop like applying it to everybody else and leaving yourself alone. Just worry about yourself, worry about treating people decently, worry about, you know, honoring people. You know, sometimes like you're speaking and the faith, people, I don't think they do it on purpose. I don't think people even realize it. But you know, the whole thing about like, when you're the in the front, when you're in a classroom, you think you're in the classroom and like the teacher can't see you. When you're in the front of the class, you see everyone. So like the person who has the face the whole time, that's like, 
and you're like, I don't know what's wrong with this person. Like, may Allah help them. Probably they're going through some difficulty. I'm serious. Like, they're probably going through something and they came. And so they have it on their face. It's not necessarily even because they're upset with, at the person who's speaking. But you're speaking and like, it, it, it hurts you. <laughs> like, it affects you. You know? And then, uh, I mean, there's a whole slew of things. May Allah help us. In the end, uh, very simply, you know, people are like, are you anti-masajid? Are you this? Are you that? Are you this label? Are you that label? Are you whatever? You're... It's actually very simple. Alhamdulillah, we've had the blessing of having teachers who are incredibly grounded people, incredibly knowledgeable people, incredibly spiritual people, incredibly beautiful people. And they lived and taught and dealt with community in a very particular way. And we don't always see that when we go into community spaces. And all we're trying to do is do a little bit of that. It's, it's really that simple, actually. <laughs> it's like, and especially what you find when you go to someone's home. And that's why we always said like the majlis is like a public living room. It's, the more and more people come, the harder it is to make it like that, obviously. But when you go to someone's home and they treat you and they honor you and they respect you and they give you something to eat and they take care of you and everything else, you know what that feels like. And we want community to feel like that. So Alhamdulillah now, uh, we don't, and, and you know, when you visit someone's house, usually they don't put a whole lot of rules on you. We don't put a whole lot of rules on you, just come. And after the lesson we eat, and if you have questions, have questions if you want to talk about things we can talk about things and inshallah we do that so that's my what comes to mind right now did you practice your elevator pitch no i didn't <laughs> the elevator is a big long elevator all right uh anyone have any questions about any of that before we begin or anything else that you would like to talk about before we begin or to address before we begin? All right, Bismillah. So before the break, we started this book called Connecting to the Quran of Imam al uh, Actually, and it's translated by Sheikh Musa Ferber. Uh, Sheikh Musa is an older American convert, not like the first generation, probably like the one after that. And then we're like the generation after that, my generation. Uh, so, you know, I don't know how many years it is now because he's probably spent like the last 30 years of his life studying and teaching and translating and stuff like that. So, mashallah, he's translated a number of works. And uh, he translated the original work of Imam al called the Tibyan fi Adab Hamalat al Quran. And I think he called it Etiquette with the Quran. It's probably like two, three times this size. And then Imam Noe himself, and Noe himself did an abridgment of his his own work, and he translated that as well. So this is the abridgment. It's a little bit shorter. So last time we started, and we just began reading from here, and um, you know, Bismillah. So we're on the section of honoring the folk of the Quran, honoring the folk of the Quran. Um, Honoring the folk of the Qur'an. 
Allah Most High says, and he who reveres the rights of Allah, it is from God-fearingness in the heart. He who reveres what Allah has deemed sacred, that is better for him with his Lord. And those who malign believing men and believing women undeservedly, they bear the guilt of slander and manifest sin. Manifest sin. So he starts off this section with these verses from the Quran talking about this idea of so this is actually a really important concept. And, you know, here again, we get this kind of, um, we get a little bit of a, um, an insight or an inroad into the reality, understanding our own culture and where we come from. So in a number of verses in the Quran, Allah talks about this idea of ta'deem sha'a'irillah or ta'deem hurumatillah or ta'deem, uh, this kind of idea. The, the idea of respecting and honoring the symbols of religion or respecting and honoring that which Allah has honored, okay? And this is a matter of the heart. That is from, and the verses will say, that is from taqwa of the heart. That is from the taqwa of the heart, the reverence that a person has in their heart. So we'll put this here, okay, on one side. This, of course, would apply to Allah. This would apply to the Prophet, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. This would apply to things like prayer, things like uh, religious learning as a concept. Um, this would apply to um, even things like family, right? Because Allah has put a certain emphasis on family uh, and so on. Many things that Allah has put emphasis on. So we put that on one side. On the other side of it, we live in uh, postmodern America. The general thrust of American society, not just now, but in the past, is to question a number of things and to deconstruct things and to break things down. So what is the general position of, especially we're in California, what is the general position of California? If we were to even focus specifically on California, what is the general position of California is that not a whole lot is sacred. And if you kind of feel that something is sacred, people kind of think that you're weird, you know? And it's like, no, this is important to me. And they're like, well, nothing really should be important to you. <laughs> you know, it just is what it is. And like, you know, life is life. And uh, which is how it is when they're talking about something that people used to hold sacred. Okay. So people used to hold family sacred. People used to hold uh, manners sacred. People used to hold religion sacred. Used to hold their relationship with God as sacred. You know, all of those things are backwards. What is sacred now? Sacred is free choice. Sacred is to do whatever you want. Sacred is that whatever I feel has to be respected and acknowledged as true because I feel it. Which if we're, again, like this might feel a little bit uncomfortable for some people in the moment, but if you sit with that for a second and you think about it, it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense, right? Like, there is, I can tell you for sure, 100%, there are a lot of things that I felt in my life that really should not have been listened to at all. Actually, if I'm to be more honest, there's a lot of things that I feel every day that really should not be listened to. You know, it's like, I don't really feel like doing this right now. Well, what I feel doesn't matter. By the way, the sun will move and stuff. Feel free to move accordingly because this is, this is the reality of the summer. 
right? The reality of the summer is that sun is hot and the shade is okay. And people tend to kind of like sit women on one side, men on one side. That's fine, alhamdulillah, that's good. But you don't have to really do that. And respect other people's space, obviously. But you can move wherever you need to move. Um, if you feel like you just need to sit like back there, <laughs> sit back there, you know, alhamdulillah. I don't usually like when people sit behind me, but that's, you know, this is an exceptional situation. Uh, and that's not even a religious issue. That's a Malcolm X issue, right? And my dad brought me, raised me that way. Like when you come in the restaurant and you sit down, you sit where your back is to as little as possible and where you can see as much as possible. This, this, is, this is my upbringing. Um, and Malcolm used to do that and my dad taught me that too, right? So usually like, I've said this before, like when you come in, uh, in the, you know, Anyways, I don't want to get us off in too much tangent, but it's good to be able to see. And especially for the brothers, it's good for you to be able to see. You know, someone should be watching. One of the things that's really good in the uh, African-American community as a whole is that they have this ethic that there's always someone on post. If you go to like a predominantly African-American masjid, you will always find someone on post. There is no such thing as having a community gathering and nobody's watching even during Salat, right? So someone will be like, if we're in, I'm not telling you you should do it right now, but for example, like someone will be standing probably like, I don't know, somewhere where they could see the entrance and they can see what's going on. And if something happens, they're gonna be the first one to respond. That's it, you know? Uh, and may Allah protect all of us, but we live in the world as like people who live in the world. I'd say no Omar in the famous Hadith of Jibril, which is a cornerstone of the Majlis, Sayyidina Omar says what? A man came in, he had very white clothes, he had very black hair, nobody knew who he was, and there were no signs of travel upon him. What is Sayyidina Omar telling you? He's telling you, I'm watching this. Like, he's watching this situation. And if this guy does anything, Sayyidina Omar is going to handle it. Because that's who he was. Right? Of course, nothing happened. Which is great. Uh... So you have to be aware of these things, especially like in community, by the way, one of the things it's important to recognize in community, everyone comes to community. Sometimes you people are going to come to community, they have a domestic issue at home, you don't know. Like, and, and it might like spill into your community space. Because like, maybe the husband and wife split, and the husband doesn't, he's like looking for his wife, and he's upset or something, right? And he shows up and brings it to your community space. That's why schools have all these rules about who can pick up and who can't, and they you have to sign a lot of stuff, right? That's why schools have that. Um, you come into community space, it's very common, for example, for people to come into community spaces and they have mental health issues. Sometimes more serious, sometimes less serious, right? Like just recently I was giving a Jummah and a brother came up to me, spoke to me after Jummah and he was seriously unwell, you know, like really unwell. May Allah help him and may Allah, you know, uh, make it easy for him and so on and so forth. But like, I definitely shifted the way that I was sitting while I was talking to this brother, you know, like I'm not going to get caught on my back, you know, I mean, at least if something goes down, I'm going to be in a position where I can move forward, not I'm going to just fall backwards and like get taken out super easy. Like it should put up a fight if it's going to go down. So anyways, be aware. I don't know why I'm saying this right now. Why am I saying this? <laughs> sitting back there in the shade. If you want to sit back there in the shade, go sit back there in the shade. Yeah. Things that are sacred. 
we have to take like five steps back to the text. Uh, things that are sacred. So there are, there are things that are sacred and they, we should pay attention to them. So for example, even in the Muslim community, we have a, a, a strain in the Muslim community in the last period that in the guise of trying to figure out what is and isn't Islam, what is culture, what isn't culture, what has an evidence, what doesn't have an evidence, so on and so forth, have actually taken away a lot of this sanctifying things in the heart, right? So for example, like Muslims traditionally, they might do things like they go on a trip, some cultures you go on a trip, and when you go on the trip, they take the mushaf out, and you have to walk under the mushaf when you leave the house to go on your trip. Does it have any sort of like textual foundation directly that says when you leave the house, you should pass under the mushaf and stuff like this? No. But there's a lot of things that tell us that the, that the word of Allah is sacred and the word of Allah is powerful and the word of Allah is protection and that you should respect it and you should honor it and so on and so forth. You might see that like someone... Maybe when they, every time they pick up, the, of course, put the Quran on the highest shelf. You don't put the Quran on the ground. So is there a text that tells you you don't put the Quran on the ground? You don't have a text for it directly, but you have plenty of texts that tell you you should, certain things are sacred. You should, like, you don't have to fill in all of the gaps, right? Should be enough sometimes to be like, here's a principle, apply the principle. Principle is, this is the book of Allah. Okay, do you really understand what it means that this is the book of Allah? Okay, then put it on the top shelf. Okay, then when you pick it up, kiss it. It's fine. You don't have a text for it. Is there something wrong with that? There's nothing wrong with that. I mean, this is from the, the, the person loves that thing. They respect that thing. So this, this everyone now became popular because of Ertugrul and these Turkish shows and stuff, right? But when they say, and people put their hand on their heart. What is that really? Like this is the Prophet. This is like he's so close to my heart that if I mention the Prophet, my heart is going to shake almost. I have to hold it. Is there a text for it? There's no text for it. Is it beautiful? Yes, it's beautiful. Okay. So when it says honoring the people of the Quran, why would we honor the people of the Quran? Because they memorize the Quran. Like, isn't isn't that sufficient? Like someone took the entirety of the book of Allah. And they put it in their heart. Like, just step back for a second on the whole thing. They took the book of Allah, even if they didn't memorize the whole Quran. But someone, maybe they memorized a little bit of the Quran. Maybe they didn't memorize the Quran, but they're really serious about following the Quran. You know, one brother, he told me, subhanAllah, he said, I used to know a brother. When he first became a Muslim, he had a copy of the Quran. And he read this English copy of the Quran so much that no matter what happened, he could open it and pull out a piece and be like, that reminds me of this passage. That reminds me of this passage. Right? It was all marked up. It was beautiful, right? Did they memorize the Quran? Yes and no. They memorized in a sense that the Quran is in the person's heart. So they've, they, now this person, I'm going to treat them. This is not a discrimination in a negative sense. This is discrimination in a positive sense. <laughs> like I'm going to give special precedence to someone who's done that. So they have that relationship with the book of Allah, subhanahu wa ta'ala. And actually, subhanAllah, he said something interesting to me. He said that brother who had done that, after he had that period where he got really close to the Quran and translation and everything, he got into all this argumentation that we get into sometimes in the community. 
this is bid'ah and that is bid'ah and this person did this right and they did this wrong and that's haram and this, they get into all this finger pointing stuff. And he said he saw him after that and he talked to him and there was no Quran in the conversation. It was all this issue and that issue and that issue. And he's like, and I talked to him for a little while and I asked him, I was like, can I ask you something? And he's like, what? He's like, you know, you used to be like this and it would be all, he's like, but I don't hear that from you anymore. Like, it's kind of sad. Like, now I'm not trying to make you feel bad, but like, it's not like it was nice when the Quran was part of everything, right? <laughs> and he's like, yeah, and they had a conversation about it or whatever. Anyways, taqwa al-qulub from the peer, the sanctity, from the goodness of a person's heart is that they sanctify what Allah has sanctified. From the goodness of their heart is that they sanctify what the Prophet وسلم, has sanctified. By the way, some of the positions in the books and stuff, they're very extreme on this. Like there's a position attributed to Imam Abu Hanifa, rahimahullah that to do istihza of things that are like arkan al-deen or sha'ar al-deen is kufr. To, to make ridicule and make fun of things that are essential things of the religion is an act of disbelief. Right? Think about this and like we should pause sometimes. Some of these videos people make online and stuff like everything, making fun of salat, making fun of imams, making fun of people of knowledge, making fun of this, making fun of that, making fun of aunties who have like a lot of religious sincerity and so on and so forth like what, what are you doing right now actually you're taking the respect for the religion out of the people's hearts and that's a big problem so why do we honor the people of the quran is out of this issue there's many hadith that are here the prophet said uh it's a great hadith actually uh, I forget the second part of it. I'll come back. We'll read the English in a second. This doesn't have Arabic. Uh, and then also the ruler who's just. So what does it say? Is to do the following. To glorify Allah. It is an act of glorifying Allah to show respect to three people. To show respect to three people. It's the hadith says. Number one is the person, the Muslim who has gray hair. The Muslim who has gray hair. Okay. So, gray hair obviously is a direct translation of someone, but it really means someone who's elderly, right? Someone who's older, someone who's elderly. We've said this before. One of the problems that we have in American culture is a profound disrespect for old, older people to the extent that nobody wants to be older. One of the amazing things that we saw in Egypt was the opposite, actually. It's an incredible thing. It's so beautiful. Like, it's almost like it's a You know, like you find them, they're like 45 years old. They're like, oh, well, like my knee is hurting me a little bit. I don't like either walking and they're like, they start talking in a certain way and they start to like carry themselves in a certain way. It's like they can't wait to get to the point where they're a hag or they're a hag. Like now I'm an older person, right? They can say more things. They can give advice more freely. They can do like a lot of things because now they're an older person and they have a station. That's Islam. Like, yeah, sometimes older people say things that are a little bit rude. Sometimes. Or they might say things, they might do things that, you know, whatever. But like, no, not always, but like, they're, they're older people. They deserve respect. They deserve to be honored. They deserve, they deserve all those things. And we said, what? Here's a pop quiz. If you're walking with someone who's older than you, how do you walk with them? Anyone remember? 
little like the like the like the follower stands with the imam if there's only two of them all right there's only two people praying together there's the imam there's the follower the follower is just like half a step behind the imam that's how you walk with an old, older person that's how you walk with your parents by the way even if they're not elderly so also how to walk with your parents so we won't do that one again but it's it's and this is what to do that is to glorify Allah. Understand how the Prophet is connecting these concepts. To do that is to glorify Allah. Second category of people is to glorify Allah is the one who bears the Quran without exceeding its proper bounds or shunning it. It's very interesting, actually. Um, the person of the Quran who does what the Quran tells them to do. Right in the middle. Not too much, not too little. Person who's like that, then to honor them is to honor Allah. And the third is the person in authority who acts justly. It's also very important. You know, again, culturally, we're very anti-authority, especially California. California is like, you know, very anti-authority. We just resist it at all costs, you know. And by the way, that's not Islam. It crept into our understanding of Islam. We, we made it our understanding of Islam. Like, oh, no, we're all brothers and we're all sisters and... You know, we shouldn't have to call people titles and we shouldn't. No, actually, you're wrong. If someone deserves a title, they should be given a title. The Prophet said to Aisha, radiallahu anha, she said that the Prophet, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, commanded us He commanded us, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, to deal with people appropriately according to their station. That if someone is a person of like, you know, whatever, you give them, you don't take that away from them, you know. Like, oh, they're a physician. Like, no, who's physician? Brother, we're in the musalla. Everyone's brothers and sisters. Of course, but like, okay, if you have a heart attack right now, are we still going to be brothers and sisters? <laughs> or like, is there going to be, is there going to be some, some issue here, right? So, you know. Anyways, I won't go further in that one. But it's important. It's very important, actually. Um, and by the way, if a person doesn't deserve a certain authority, don't give them that authority. Also, like, you know, just because you like someone doesn't make them a person of knowledge. I hate to break this to everyone, like, you know, in our community, this is the way it works. If I like them and they agree with everything I agree with, then they're a sheikh. And if I don't like them for whatever reason, and they have different opinions than I have, even if they're grounded in actual truth, then they're not a sheikh anymore. This is completely bottled. It's completely wrong, right? Now, if they have a bunch of learning and so on and so forth, and they did something that's corrupt, and you don't want to give them the title, don't give them the title. Actually, even if you want to give them the title, you shouldn't give them the title. Uh, when, when we studied Tafsir Ayat and Ahkam, the Tafsir of the verses and in, in, uh, uh, the rulings are taken from, there is a really interesting passage on the, the verse about, uh, anyways, it doesn't matter the verse, but it was saying that the title Ech, title Ech, brother, right? And the commentary said, you shouldn't give the title, this title to someone who's a corrupt person because it's a title of tashrif. I was like, Allahu Akbar, this is amazing. Like, forget sheikh or imam or whatever. Like, if the person doesn't act like it, then they don't get the title. Sorry, you, you lost it. Maybe you can rectify it. Maybe you can't. Depends on the type of uh, mistake. Okay, but there is authority. And if the authority is just, this is the extremely important point. There are many hadith of the Prophet ﷺ that talk about how if the authority is just, 
they are that is a very high rank actually if you have an administrator who's just and they do things right and they they take their responsibility seriously and they they don't steal things from people and they respect them and they honor them and they do things properly that person deserves a lot of respect you know it's not necessarily they have to be a shaykh they could be a, they could be like a ceo but they're a ceo who really respects people they're a, they're a board president who really respects people and takes their job seriously. That person has a really high rank, okay? And we should make dua for them and we should pray for them and so on and so forth. The Prophet also said, whoever shows enmity to a friend of mine, I have declared war upon him. Allah said that. The Prophet said that Allah said, whoever shows enmity to a friend of mine, then I have declared war on them. I don't know if I should say this. Do you think it would be a good general rule if I say to myself, I don't know if I should say this, that I don't say it? Yes. Seems like it would be a good rule. But at the same time, sometimes it needs to be said. <laughs> sometimes this concept, we should use this concept to motivate ourselves to treat people right. We shouldn't use this concept as a weapon to dominate other people. I'll just leave it at that. Sometimes it gets used that way. You know, you can't say anything about this person. They're a sheikh. They're a wali. But we have evidence like the person had endless like secret marriages one after the other. You know? They're sheikh so and so you can't say that about they're a wali Allah. Beware. If if you declare, if you say something about the wali Allah, then Allah is gonna declare war on you. This is like this one we should be a little bit careful about. Yeah, we have rules on slander, we have rules on gossip, all these kind of things. It's all true. But there's a fine line between like when something is a proper reminder and when something actually becomes now a weapon. Uh, it's a fine line. May Allah help us to, to figure it out. Type number chapter four, the etiquette of teachers and students of the Quran. Teachers and students should both engage in the recitation of the Quran for the purpose of gaining the pleasure of Allah Most High. Teachers and students. There's only two categories, by the way. Many righteous people, they said, there's only two categories. Either you're a teacher or you're a student. And the, there's a third option, but you don't want to be that one. Okay? So all of us are always learning. All, and, and at various points, we might be called upon to teach, and we teach. But in general, actually, if you want to be even more particular, everyone's a student. Everyone's a student. Even the most senior scholars in the world if you ask them, are you a scholar? Most of the time they'll say, I'm a student of knowledge. You know, I'm just taller, I'm a student. Like, I just want to be a student until I die. That's all I want to be. And that keeps us in a state of reminding. Actually, one of the great sages in Muslim history, he said uh, to the teacher, he said, no, when you go to teach, that the student is better than you. No, when you go to teach, that the student is better than you. Why? Because you sat there and you teach and you think you have something. And they came to listen because they wanted to benefit. So who's better? It's the one who came and wanted to benefit, not the one who sat and had something to say. Okay? So that's also, you know, like we're reading these things together, studying together, inshallah. Allah Most High says, and they were ordered no more than to worship Allah sincerely, keeping the religion pure for him, being upright to establish the prayer, and to give charity, and that is the worthy religion. Hmm. Everyone's doing it. Everyone has sincerity. Everyone's doing it. Everyone's going to recite the Quran. Quran is the book of Allah. Everyone should be reciting it. Everyone should have a relationship with it. 
read the English if you have to read the English. And read the Arabic if you want to read the Arabic. It's good. You know, both of those are good options. And it's good to be able to, like, I've mentioned it before, put effort into trying to read the Quran the way that the Prophet them read it. That's a good and that's a beautiful thing. It's good to try to learn that and do that as much as we can. And be patient with the frustration of this. You know, I think sometimes, um, again, here's another point. Our Western educational system is very nafsani. It's very nafsani. It's very egotistical. It's like, I'm going to do this thing, and I'm going to pass this thing, and I'm going to get this credential, and I'm going to get this position, and I'm going to get this job, and it's very, like, I-driven, you know? And that's not the way we should study our religion. Like, yeah, tajweed is really painful. And that's why with a lot, of, a lot of times, like, in the past, students of knowledge and stuff, they, they wouldn't let you go past anything like i'm not going to teach you you know like the the karate kid stuff where like he he's waxing the car and he's cleaning the fence and all that kind of stuff before he can ever study there's a reason for that because this knowledge it, it, it's dangerous actually you know if you have knowledge if you have martial art it's dangerous obviously if you have knowledge of religion it's dangerous it can be dangerous for you if you don't do anything about it, it can be dangerous for other people if you misuse it right so many times it would be like, you're going to sit here and you study Tajweed, and it's going to be painful. It's going to be really frustrating. There are going to be days, if you sit, anyone who's taken Tajweed seriously, you know, like there's many times when you really want to cry. You know, you just want to get, you're like, I just want to cry. Like so many times I've sat in my class and like, I want to cry right now. I just want to like sit here and I just hang my head and I'm going to cry until tomorrow because it's so frustrating. It's really frustrating. Like you've been trying to say the letter for a year. You can't get the letter right. It just doesn't come right. But the sheikh can't tell you that it's right. Right? Because it's not right. <laughs> and this is the book of Allah. And it's the way the Prophet them recited the Quran. And if we just say that it's right when it's not right, then are we going to have proper recitation of the Quran? We're not going to have it. So like either you know something or you don't. There has to be some humility in that. There's no shortcuts. There's no like speedy routes. There's no, like I say, the only way you get knowledge is you sit at the feet of the people of knowledge for years. It's the only way. And you go through the pain of being away from your family and you separated from all kinds of things and you probably experience some level of poverty and you miss your family members dying and all kinds of stuff. It's the only way to get it. Because right? <laughs> otherwise it's going to be cheap and it's not going to be right. And anyone who wants to excel in any field, they know that. Any field that anyone wants to excel in, they know that. So everyone's going to recite the Qur'an. And actions are by their intentions. And Ibn Abbas, radiallahu anhumah, he said, a man memorizes or a woman memorizes to the degree of their intention. It's the book of Allah. He gives it to whom he wants. Allah give us sincerity. The sages said, sincerity is purifying the action from being observed by people. This is so beautiful. Like really, some of these concepts, when you sit with them, they're so beautiful. Sincerity is purifying the action from being observed by the people. And yet, we live in community life and we build civilization. Obviously, many things are seen by other people, right? But the goal is not for it to be seen by other people. The goal is to do what's right and what's good, as if nobody saw it. The only one who saw it is Allah. And this is why they say that the person who is a relationship with Allah, they're ka'in ba'in. 
It's really katan, batan. They're fully present and they're completely absent. <laughs> what does it mean? They're fully present and they're completely absent. Fully present means I'm right here, right now, 100%. All of these people are here, all of this thing is here, right here, 100%. And I'm actually not here at all. Because at the same time, I'm completely with Allah. Fully present, fully absent. It's a paradox, right? One of the righteous people, he said, I talked to my family and I spent time with my family and my community and everything else. And for 40 years, they thought that I was talking to them. And I was talking to Allah. <laughs> for 40 years, I was talking to Allah. They thought I was talking to them. <laughs> He's like, there's a, don't think about it too much, you won't get it. It's like Qadr. Think about it too much, you won't get it. We just be like, huh, that's interesting. You'll get it. No, point is like, Sincerity is purifying the action from being observed by the people. And yet so many things happen in front of the people. But we should always keep something that happens not in front of the people. Nobody knows about it. And if we don't have to tell somebody about it, we shouldn't tell somebody about it. We tell too much. Especially in relationships and stuff. You know, we have this idea. You have to tell your spouse everything. No, you don't. You don't have to tell your spouse everything. You have to tell them a number of things. Like there are things that are important to disclose. Honesty, of course, is important. Trustworthiness is important. All of those kind of things, of course. But you don't have to tell them everything. You don't have to tell them like, you know what? Last night I was laying in bed and I woke up at some point and I didn't want to wake you up. So I just laid there and I started talking to Allah. And then I fell asleep again. So why do you have to tell them that? <laughs> you don't have to tell them that. Just talk to Allah. They don't have to know that. You do something good for someone else. You don't have to tell other people. And again, like this marketing culture that we have, it's completely destroying people's lives and their religion and their character and everything, you know, to tell people about everything. Even organizationally, like you're very conflicted, you know, you have to tell people you're doing this, tell people you're doing that, tell your story, all this kind of stuff. Kind of like, oh, yeah, if you say so, but... It'd be great if people just found out because it reached them somehow, you know, like you actually did something that mattered to them. And so they found out not like you framed it in all this way and like put the thing perfectly and filtered and like cut the scenes and told the story. And like, and then people come and they're like, oh, that wasn't exactly what we were expecting. They also said the sages said sincerity is the worshippers actions being identical in what is manifest and what is hidden. What is manifest and what is hidden. They're the same. And public and private, they're the same. And not in a bad way. To not do certain things in front of people and that you might do by yourself, that's not hypocrisy, by the way. So I've, I've noticed sometimes people have this, like, oh, that person's, a, I don't want to be a hypocrite. You're not a hypocrite if you recognize that you do something in a way that's not so great and you don't want to do that in front of people. That doesn't make you a hypocrite. That makes you someone who is actually intelligent and has some tough work. You're a hypocrite if you come, if you have zero care at all about doing something wrong and you come in front of the people and you tell them that they shouldn't do this and they shouldn't do that. And you don't care at all that you do it. That's, that's being a hypocrite. That's, that's hypocrisy. That's, that's a problem. But to be like, you know what? I don't know, like whatever the person does that maybe they shouldn't do. They, whatever, you can fill in the box. That's, that's not hypocrisy. But 
ideally a person has the same sincerity you know they say what's the, what's that phrase people say uh keep that energy <laughs> like when when i see you keep that energy right it's like you know if, if you're if you're saying that online like let me see you say that in person type thing like if if it's it's kind of like they they keep that energy in private as in public with a lung like they're doing the same things in private and public it's not a game like this you know we need to be careful of this like again it goes back to that edit thing this whole thing is not a game it's not just like a show you know we come in front of each other and we do these certain things and we put on this certain stuff and we do this clothes and that clothes and we use the certain words and like CD this and Jazakallah khair and Barakallah fiqh and Allah and inshallah and alhamdulillah and mashallah and like it's not a game like there has to be some actual reality to this whole thing we're not going to come in front of Allah and be like Allah you know I wore the right color Allah there has to be some substance there the form follows the substance form is important but form follows substance substance is the real issue by the way, if you have comments at different points, just raise your hand. Otherwise, I'll just keep going forever. Yeah. Uh, I think the food came. So we'll stop soon. Inshallah. So now this section, we're not going to finish the section. It's a little bit longer. But this section, again, is on the etiquette of students and teachers. So the first major point that he makes is not seeking a worldly objective. All right. I'm going to read these paragraphs, the whole section, and I'll make some comments, and then we'll close, inshallah. One's studies and teaching must not be for the purpose of attaining some worldly objectives such as wealth, leadership, influence, status above one's peers, gaining people's praise, or drawing others' attention to oneself. This is absolutely fundamental. It's very important. I said this to the young professionals Pondok the other day. It's very important that there should come a stage in our life, probably multiple stages in our life, where we re-study our religion from the beginning. And we take seriously the reprogramming of ourselves according to those principles. Because the reality is we live our life and we accept at some level a whole body of principles actually on how to understand the world and how to interact with each other by culture, by media, by whatever it is. We take them as principles even if we don't realize that they're principles. And when we re-study our religion, we're reanalyzing the principle, okay? So what is the principle? We'll say it again. One's studies and teaching must not be for the purpose of attaining some worldly objective, such as wealth, leadership, influence, status above one's peers, gaining people's praise, or drawing others' attention to oneself. So what do you think about the idea of calling? And this is not to, I'm not, like, don't get offended. This is a theoretical conversation. What do you think about the idea of calling a sheikh an influencer? It's not, it's not good. If you're trying to acknowledge a reality to be like, take it out of context and say there's a reality, which is that the person is in a position where they influence other people. Fine. I get that. But like in the world of what we're talking about to say like, oh, so-and-so is an influencer, so-and-so. But you're not supposed to actually be seeking to be an influencer with this knowledge. Get it? Yes, have you? Alhamdulillah, it's a very good thing to do. It's a very good thing to do. 
There's an exception to the rule that I mentioned before. <laughs> which is that if you're perfectly pure and perfectly sincere, the rules don't apply to you the same way. That's a really good thing to do, mashallah. May Allah always uh, give you that habit. And may you also remember your family and your friends and your community and make dua for them, inshallah. So once I woke up That's very good, mashallah. Very good, mashallah. <laughs> I kind of feel like I should stop. <laughs> it's like the perfect ending. But I think I'll stop. Inshallah, we'll come back to it next time. We can continue from here next time, inshallah, so we're not rushing it. That's a good place to stop. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alayhi wa sallam wa sallam subhanakum wa alayhi wa sallam wa alayhi wa sallam wa alayhi wa sallam any um, questions, comments, anything anyone has? Yes. Uh, you said that the uh, division between teachers and students is exhaustive. At your discretion, you mentioned a third one, the avoidance. To not be one of those two. So they say like, there's different statements around it, but they'll say like, you should either be a teacher or you should be a student. And if you're not one of those two, basically you're like lost, essentially. So. We should just be, we should, and really we should just be students. We're just students and it solves everything. Thank you. You're very welcome. I'm very happy to have you here. Thanks. My bad, Kelly. Uh, yes. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's what happens, right? <clears throat> so the question is, what about the culture where everyone has to have a title? Right? Again, we come to the socialism piece that pervades Southern California. So if we're going to call you doctor, and we're going to call so-and-so imam, and we're going to call this person, I don't know what, then we have to give everyone a title. So like this is brother, and this is sister, and this is... And then you get into problems because like maybe someone doesn't want to do that and then they don't do this. As a general rule, we should be polite to other people and we shouldn't seek it for ourselves. Okay. So if I want to I give titles to other people, they don't give me a title, it's fine. It's not, I'm not responsible for what they give me. I'm responsible for what I give them, right? So uh, like too much of this, like controlling these things sometimes creates problems sometimes. Like, for example, I was talking to someone one time and they kept calling me brother. We're having office hours and they kept saying brother or it might have been bye. I don't remember. And um, uh, and then she said, she's like, by the way, you know, I don't mean to offend you if I don't call you sheikh. I know people call you that and stuff, but I don't mean to offend you if I don't find not calling you that. I'm not calling you that because I've had endless bad experiences with religious teachers and I'd rather. So and I respect you. So out of respect for you, I don't call you Sheikh, I call you brother. And I was like, SubhanAllah, that's really fascinating. Like, but like if you 
sit there and like, you don't know what the reasoning of the person might be, you know? And it's not always good to ask, you know? Like there might be people, I'm not gonna call them shit. And you probably don't wanna ask me why. And because you're gonna now expose yourself to something that you didn't have to be worried about that. <laughs> like you were living your life and now you have this other drama on your hands. She didn't have on your hands if you didn't ask that question, right? So, you know, I personally am not a huge fan of the whole brother sister thing all over the place. I don't think I don't just see that we had that. Um, there are incidences where those titles were used, even in the time of the Prophet Like, it's actually very beautiful. The Prophet told Sayyidina Omar when he was going to Umrah, he told him, Don't forget your brother in your dua. God himself, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. But as like a title, but some of these, some of these things are largely culturally navigated. You know? So it's good to refer to people with titles of respect and so on and so forth. But uh, so I don't want to give like hard, fast rules, but it's largely navigated by culture. And again, we don't have like a particular culture on it. Um, I personally like to, but the question was, if they're elder to you, do you have to give them a title and so on? I, I often like to, but I mean, again, it's, uh, there can be reasons why you don't, and some of it, again, is cultural, so as long as we're not disrespecting people, it's okay, you know, we don't have to be like, Super rigid on these things. Yes, Auntie Cheryl. <laughs> just wanted to comment on the sister brother thing. When yeah. you get older, um, sometimes you don't remember people's names. You might remember yeah. their face, or you might remember their uh, their name, but you can't put them together. So brother and sister come in really. Very handy. <laughs> yeah, it's very handy. That's not only when you're older. <laughs> It's really hard to remember people's names. Exactly. By the way, we should have a general community policy. It would be great if we can agree upon it, but it's okay to ask people their name as many times as you have to in order to know their name. And it doesn't matter how much time has passed. Can we agree? Yeah, because it's really hard. And sometimes you see them and you talk to them and you remember, and then you ask a second time and you feel kind of bad. And then like four weeks pass and you see them every week. And then you're like, now I can't ask. Like it's brother, sister for life. <laughs> Until you go ask someone else, like, what was so-and-so's name again? Just ask. It's, it's good to forgive me. I'll, ask, I'll tell you in advance. Forgive me. It's really hard. I'm trying to remember everyone's names. Yeah, you go here, you go there. Everyone, you meet this person, that person. Sometimes two people come to me like, do you remember me? And I'm like, there is no polite way to answer this question. Like, if you don't actually think about, it's good to think about that, too, by the way, when you ask someone a question. Uh, like think about where this could lead. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Sometimes people come to me, they're like, oh, we miss you. We haven't seen you in so long. How can we never come? And it's like, because I wasn't invited. <laughs> like, I, mean, I wasn't here because nobody invited me. It wasn't like, how do I answer that without throwing shade on the people who invite? You know what I mean? Like, so it's good to think about a little bit. <laughs> do you remember me? I'm like, I could say yes, but then I'd be lying. And I could say no, and then you're gonna be offended. So then you end up like somewhere in the middle, you know? I remember your face, or, and usually if it's true, you could say, I remember your face, or 
I don't really recall. I'm so sorry, you know. But you're kind of stuck at that point, <laughs> brother, sister. Yeah. Yes. Yes. That is absolutely not true. Yeah. Question was this idea of the wali or the friend of Allah, the awliya. Uh, was this, were you saying that you were told that and your understanding was that it was, yeah. 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 Um, uh, so first of all, <clears throat> uh, I'm I'm not going to comment on what Shia believe, oh, and and I know that we have community members some that come from that come from various backgrounds, and uh, I, I'm not I'm not well versed in that. So on the on but on the wali issue, um, uh, I mean, you know, like even as um. Uh, I'm trying to figure out how to answer this in a succinct way, but of course the Sahaba have a special rank. Companions of the Prophet they have a special rank as a group and individually. Um, but the idea of the awliya is actually um, it's much more broad than that. And even in a sense, like every believer is a wali at some level. Um, and that's established by a number of verses in the Quran. But amongst that category, there are ranks. Like every believer is a wali, but not every believer is a wali in the sense of that hadith where Allah says that if you have a problem with my wali, I declare war against you. Not every, not every believer is on that level. But uh, so there are ranks in that. Um, Imam al-Tahawi, rahimahullah, mentions in his aqidah, the aqidah tahawiyah is pretty widely accepted amongst Sunnis, at least. Um, and he mentions that, you know, we believe in the miracles of the prophets and we believe in this the miracles, I don't know what words to use for it. Some people say saintly miracles, but then you get into the saint problem. We also believe in the miracles of the awliya. The karamat, yeah, the karamat of the awliya. And so, you know, throughout Muslim history, this has been a thing. But, uh, but of course, the Sahaba are special. Yes. Form follows substance. <clears throat> form follows substance so for example we have a form uh, in whatever dress code we have in Islam there's a form to it right male or female there's a form to the dress code in Islam the substance behind that form is haya or modesty so if you have a form but you don't have the substance behind it, the form loses its meaning. And if you have the substance, sometimes even when the form is not the way that it should should be, maybe substance still carries the day sometimes, some cases, you know, certain limits and stuff. But um, but that's an that would be an example. Uh, for example, you want to build a community then you have to ask one an important question to ask, for example. This is a really interesting thing to think about. 
We talked about it when we did the paper on from Dr. Omar on uh, mercy, the stamp of creation. What is what is the essential quality of Islam? If you answer this question, it's going to affect your form. Okay, so for many people, practically speaking, the essential quality of Islam for them is justice. It's, that's I shouldn't say that's true. Justice is extremely important, right? But if justice is the most important quality of Islam for you, what does that mean about community? Probably means there's going to be some level of judgment. There's going to be some level of like, this is right. That's not right. You need to fix this, so on and so forth. That form is going to be affected by the substance. The substance that you have is justice is primary. If you say that the primary thing is mercy, which I believe is actually true, is rahmah, number of verses in the Quran, the paper by Dr. Omar, I think, is sufficient to establish that, um, is mercy, then that substance is going to affect the form of your space. It's going to affect the form of your community. It's going to affect the form of your family. And that's why when we talk about the majlis, when we talk about safe communities, all this kind of stuff, religious education has to be the first point. Because religious education is the form, is the substance, I'm sorry. Religious education is the substance. And the form comes out of that. So if the if the substance is is you know good, then we can begin to talk. Um, and you can apply that to any number of other things, right? So if uh, um, <clears throat> the masjid is supposed to get people to pray, it's supposed to turn people to Allah. So you come into the the form of the masjid is usually musalla, it's very open, and it faces the qibla. So the form is pushing you to the substance of focusing on Allah. I have a little bit of a challenge when we're not sure what we want from a community center. Do we want it to be a masjid or do we want it to be a community center? So now if you want it to be a community center in addition to the masjid, then there has to be something that's also form and substance have to work together. So maybe you have some sitting areas, maybe you have some food, maybe you have other things that would call people to that substance issue. They're connect, they go both ways, but substance primaries. Does that help? Anyone else have anything? You can take food, by the way. Food is here. If you're like, I want to eat, I'm tired of this, just get up and eat. It's fine. Huh? This is better food. Alhamdulillah. It's all kinds of food in this world. Alhamdulillah. Yes. I'm saying, what I'm saying is, I'm not going to be offended. If you want to get up and eat, get up and eat. Alhamdulillah. It's fine. Yes. It's a great question, mashallah. Does your hat or kufi signify anything? Uh, yes, to me it does. And um, I don't know if it does to everyone else, but to me it does. And basically what it signifies to me, there's layers to this. Uh, and I found something on it one time, but I forgot the breakdown on it, actually, to tell you the truth. But the simple for this, for me, is that the... Um, Scholars of an Azhar, they are, like the official hat of an Azhar is a red hat with a black uh, lace and the white turban tied around it. Okay, Even for students, by the way, especially outside the city. If you're like a student in the village and stuff, you'd be like eight years old for the boys. Obviously, women don't wear like this thing. Actually, my wife asked him this question when she was there. She was like, the men have an outfit. Shouldn't we have an outfit as women who graduate from an Azhar? And she got like some 
quite frankly, useless answer. But it was a good thing that she was thinking about. <laughs> um, so the men at least have this red hat <clears throat> and they tie the white turban around it. Uh, culturally in America, that's kind of like hard to do all the time. Because like, if I'm gonna wear that, then I have to wear a full, though there's like a way to do it, right? And I can never take it off and it's gonna get really heavy. So this is like my civilian version of that. Uh, that's my that's my answer. It's my civilian version of that. So when I wear it, that's what I'm I'm telling I'm sending also a message to myself. Like this is your alma mater. You have a responsibility to it. Be careful what you do. You don't stand for yourself. Like you're part of a tradition that's over a thousand years old. Like be careful a little bit. Um, and you know. So that's what that's why I wear it. Um, there was something else I was going to say about that. I don't remember what it was. So, what that means, there was a, you can find the audio online if you look in our contemporary readings and Muslim thought series that I did. There's one piece on it, on the salient approaches of the Azhar methodology. If you want to understand more, you can listen to it and get a feel for it. But to me, uh, and I think it's a fair thing to say, it's hard to say when it's your alma mater, but um, to me, the, the way of an Azhar represents the way of Sunni Islam for all of its history. And uh, of course, there's ups and downs at various points. There's things that you can take issue with, but the overall approach is the approach of Sunni Islam. And that's what I hope to be a part of. SubhanAllah, whatever it was, the other thing that I wanted to say, I felt like it was important, but I forgot it, so. My hat, I don't wear my hat very often. Maybe on like Eid, sometimes I'll wear it. It's been 10 years since I've been back to Egypt, so my hat's not in as good shape as I would like it to be. But there's like a particular guy you go to. He's behind Al-Azhar, he has the old fern, like a furnace, is the old furnace, big fire, huge machine. And they'll like take your hat and they brush it and they clean it and they'll press it and they'll like make everything, they measure you and they, they'll tie it for you even. And you kind of have to like take a box with you and take it in your carry-on, you know? And then you preserve it <laughs> for as long as you can, because it can't go back all the time. Yes. Isn't it the last It might be. There might be like one or two. But there's a video on it on YouTube. You can find there's a video like the last Tarabush maker in Cairo type thing. A lot of these things are being lost, subhanAllah. These were like traditional things that were really important, that skill. They're, they're becoming lost. But this kind of thing, it's hard to lose it because you'll always have Azhar, you always have graduates. You know, I always tell people like the Azhar cloak that I wear sometimes, it's like when Harry Potter goes to get his wand. Yeah. You know, like you go and it's like this way and that way and you turn and like the street turns like, you know, and you want to get your, when we got our dog, our kakula made, it was like, it was a thing, you know, like we went there together, a couple of us and we're like, where do you go? And they're like, you go here. And then when you go this way, like literally these are the directions. Like, after make the first left. After the first left, don't make the first right. Pay attention for the second right. If you go past it, you're going to find this on the right. You went too far. 
go back a little bit, then make that right. You go down that right. It's like in the old market, so it's all alleyways and stuff like you go down the second right. It's like after that, then you go here, then you make left. At the left, go to the end of the thing, not your left side, look on your right side. On your right side, you're gonna find him. You find like this particular guy who's like an old man. He measured us, took our things, and like told us you need cloth, there's so much cloth you get. Go to the cloth store, it's down the street. We go and you buy the cloth, you pick it out, take it to him, then he measures the makes the whole thing, you know, and you come back in like three, four weeks, whatever, pick it up. It was a thing, subhanAllah. Yeah. And there's nothing like it. Even I've ordered some online, they're nice and stuff, but it's not the same. SubhanAllah. Anyways, that's a long answer to a short question. Anyone else? Yes. Say more. Can you say more about what do you? Yeah, and then how, I mean, how do we navigate that? Because that is true, right? And that's pervasive. And something else is as sacred as is actually seen as invested. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, just what advice do you have to navigate that? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> Remember what I was saying earlier about not sitting in a place where your back is to everything that's going on and like, you know, in that whole that whole tangent about you sit in the restaurant where you can see the door and you see everything that's happening. And like, like, I'm the kind of person I don't like to feel like I'm in a corner. And I think that the default is if you're a Muslim in America. The default is you're in a corner. You've been backed into a corner. And I think that it's really important that Muslims understand that. Like you can't just function on the default because the default is people don't believe in God. People don't believe anything is sacred. And if you have anything that you stand for that doesn't agree with whatever they stand for, they're going to think that you're backwards and you're, you're arrogant and you're pushing them and all this kind of stuff. So we have to understand this is the lay of the land, right? So the question is then, how am I going to not be in that corner? Because I don't like to be in that kind of position. And it's gonna be really hard to feel that you have any sort of strength in your religion if you just accept that position, right? Not you, but we as a community. So the most basic issue with that is, I have to know why I believe what I believe. I have to know. I have to really know. Alhamdulillah for Sheikh Fuad, you know, take his classes. You will understand because our tradition is rigorous. It's not like just some like thing, you know. Take the classes. You will understand why I believe what I believe. And we can engage with certain questions. We can engage with certain issues. Um, <clears throat> and then like sometimes, you know, we just have to have like a little bit of answer. I've said our culture in the American Muslim community has changed a lot. We used to be like that. After September 11th and a lot of other things, we became very like, please don't look down on me. Please don't think I'm not as good as you. Please let me be like, please let me sit at the table with you. Please like just respect me and accept me as a human being. Like too much please. Like I'm here. I'm a human being. I have something I believe. You have no right at all <laughs> to come at me with anything. Which is like what I said sometimes when people ask the question, like, 
well, didn't Islam spread by the sword? And I'm like, well, aren't you Christian in Southern California? Like how you cannot come at me with this question. I, let's under, we're not, we're not standing this way. We're not positioning things this way. You know, you're not coming at me like that. We're not, we're not doing this. Right. But like you can sit, we can sit here and we can have a conversation as equals, as human beings, you have your civilization. I have my civilization. And part of your civilization is probably part of mine. And I also have other ones that I have some sort of connection to, too. And now we can talk. But if it's going to be this whole, like, you know, uh, thing, I'm not, we're not doing that. But we have to know what we believe. And then, like, once we know what we believe, like, realize other people are not taking positions on what they believe with any sort of grounding. I mean, like, we have to... All of these things that all these people believe with like so much vigor and so much passion and so much you're wrong and like you're backwards and all these other things. They're not believing in them with any sort of grounding in the vast majority of cases. It's just like I saw this on the news and like that's what everyone said. And I want to do this. Yeah. Oh, like, and <clears throat> and so, you know, we have to know what we believe and then we know what we believe. Uh, Oh, but isn't it this and isn't it that and isn't it? No. And and what you're offering is not better. That's a, that's a big part of it. Like, if if what someone else was offering was better, I'd be like, okay, let me think about it. Should ask some questions. But it's not. Like, you have a country that is dying of greed. You have a country that doesn't respect elderly people. You have a country that has no mercy for poor people. You have a country that has no mercy for sick people. You have a country that is deeply racist and discriminatory at its core, right? You have a country that committed genocide on the native peoples in order to occupy a land. You have a country that has uh, invaded other countries for the last hundred years and destroyed their countries and their resources and their infrastructures. And, and like, no, you don't. Like what you're offering is not better. I, I'm not buying into that. You know, I'm just, I'm not buying into it. And then people will be like, well, you don't sound like an American when you're saying that. And I'm like, well, you don't sound like you have a brain when you're saying that. I mean, like, what does me being an American have anything to do with? Like, if I'm not able to critique the country that I live in, then I'm not an American, right? Then I'm not an American, actually. That's our, that's our, this is our country. This is what we believe in this country is that, we do critique our country. That's what make that that is a piece that might actually be good, that, yeah. that I'm willing to take. That we'll we'll critique our country because we care about our country, and we want it to be good, and we want it to, and we want it to solve these problems, and we don't want to live with like the stain of all of these things because it doesn't it doesn't just disappear. Like when you've done that, it doesn't just disappear. So, you know, we want to fix those things. I care about this country. I've traveled to a lot of countries. I have no doubt that I'm an American. I have no doubt. <laughs> like, and most of us who are born and raised here, if you have any doubt, just go somewhere else. You'll know very quickly that you're an American. Like, this is this is our reality, you know. And I care for this place, and I care for these people, and the people of this place are my people. Right. And because they're my people, you're not going to come at me like that. <laughs> so, and we're, and we're going to talk about it. And if you want to talk to me, we're going to have a conversation. You know, and that's my positioning on this. I remember one time I was walking down the street 
This is a long time ago. I was walking down the street and I was wearing a thobe. This is my basic opinion on this. I was walking down the street, I was wearing a thobe. Someone yelled out of a car at me, take that dress off. A, a man. So I yelled back at him. Why? Because you want to wear it? <laughs> that's the position. Like, that's going to be the conversation. It's not going to be like, you know? So we have honor. We have dignity, too. Like, why are you yelling at the, you know? I like, yeah, of course. I mean, it's a diverse country. It's a diverse country. But <clears throat> there's great people in this country. We see it all the time. There's great people. Like I said, I said, look how sensitive the conversation is. I'm an American, right? I'm going to say all of these things. And I love this country, and I love people in this country, and there's great people in this country. Um, and there's people who say the truth, and there's people who acknowledge the past, and there's people who do all kinds of things. You know? And there's other people too. But So my point in saying all of this is, I believe the Quran is sacred. If someone has a problem with that, they can have a problem with it. I believe that, and, and, and now you're going to even get in tricky territory. I believe that it's good for women to dress in a particular way. I believe that it's good for men to dress in a particular way. I believe that there's rules on how men and women should interact with each other. I believe in, uh, in, in how money should be handled in a family. I believe in certain rules around marriage and responsibilities. I believe in certain rules around divorce. It's not just like prayer, right? I believe in finance. I believe that riba is, is haram. You know, I believe that it's haram to steal other people's wealth. I believe that all of the, I believe a lot of these things. And I think that I believe these things based on revelation and our revelation. It makes sense. There's clear for anyone who will give it a chance. There's clear good in it. It might not be what we want sometimes, but there's clear good in it if we give it a chance. Um, and I think out of all people, we should, we ourselves, Muslims, we have sometimes more Islamophobia than non-Muslims. We have to give sometimes our religion a chance too. Yeah. Jordan Peterson. Yeah. Yeah. 